Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. So they're in this place of Acacia Grove, and so now they're coming to the Jordan. So they're traveling, this two million plus people are now traveling to the Jordan from Acacia Wood, and they're, they're going there, and they're going to lodge there before they cross over. In verse 2 it says, So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua, chapter 3 and 4. God told the people of Israel to wait three days at the shores of the Jordan River. At that time, the people of Israel saw a rushing river swollen with spring rains laying in front of them. They must have asked, how can we ever cross this river? At a moment like this, all the wonderful talk about living in the promised land can sound pretty hollow. There is a seemingly impossible obstacle blocking the way. How will God do this one? Let's join Pastor Rob and see how it turns out for them. If we look at uh, Joshua chapter 1, just to summarize where we've been, in the first chapter, God commissions Joshua and, and encouraging him as this new leader, uh, Moses, remember, has passed from the scene, and now Joshua, his protege, is now uh, coming into his own. And, you know, Joshua is one of the few people, other than Caleb, who was in the desert uh, from the very beginning. When, when they left Egypt, uh, Joshua is just a very young man, and he's one of the few people who had the benefit of seeing everything that happened from their, uh, you know, coming out of Egypt the 40 years of wandering in the desert, and then now finally everyone has passed from the scene. Moses now is gone. That first generation that came out from the, the desert uh, out, out of Egypt had passed away. And now literally the younger people, the second generation, and Joshua and Caleb, those are the only people now that are going to be going into the promised land. And so God tells Joshua, think of the perspective that he must have had and has, you know, Having seen, I mean, very few people other than Caleb really had the perspective that Joshua had. Think of it. He, he's kind of seen the panorama of the whole thing. He's been in Egypt. He's, he's seen the hard labor that the people had been through. And then he sees this miraculous event of, of being delivered and, and the Passover, that first Passover in Egypt. And then they leave, and then they're pursued by Pharaoh and and they, and they see the, the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, and all of Israel, some two million people, are crossing now the Red Sea. 
And he's witnessed all that. He's been through it. He's seen it. And then he's seen the the wilderness wandering. And you know what's interesting to me is God is the one who kept them in that desert for 40 years. And he kept them there because of their disobedience. Right? It wasn't because they didn't have the understanding of how to get from point A to point B. No, they were commanded to stay put until the pillar of fire moved or or the, the pillar of smoke or whatever, the cloud, when it moved, they would move. And so they would spend camped out at several locations for years. And so it was God's doing because he knew exactly what they were doing and what was in their heart and what needed to be taken out. It was easy to take them out of Egypt, but getting Egypt out of them was a 40-year process. Isn't that interesting? And that's the same like us. It's easy for the Lord to translate us from being in the world or being out of the kingdom of death into the kingdom of light, but then there's a process now of getting the world out of us, little by little, day by day. It's called sanctification. It's called consecration, and that's, that takes time, doesn't it? And so the Lord encourages Joshua from the very beginning after Moses has passed from the scene, you know, be strong and of good courage. He commissions him, commissions him excuse me, in chapter 1, and then we get into chapter 2, and we see that now Joshua is commanding the officers of the people and encouraging them with the things that God has shown him. And then we see at the very end of that chapter that now the people are encouraging Joshua, and they said to him, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you or be obedient to you. Only the Lord be uh, your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him, he shall be put to death. Only, here it is, be strong and of good courage. We see the Lord telling Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Now Joshua tells the people, be strong and of good courage. And then they come back and tell him, now <laughs> Joshua, you be strong and be of good courage. And everybody needed to be strong and of good courage because they were going to go from a place that, they've, that, that they, they've, they've known this place for 40 years. They got used to desert life, and now they're going to go into a land that's flowing with milk and honey where the, the, the houses are going to be prepared for them. The vineyards and all of the foliage, everything is going to be provided for them, and their diet is going to change. They've been living on manna for 40 years, and now they're going to eat the produce of the land for the very first time. And so they're going into the land. And then uh, Joshua, if you remember, in chapter 2, he sends in two spies, learning the lesson from his past. He remembers when those 12 Israelites were sent in to spy out the land, and only two came back with a good report, and it was him. Him and Caleb. Him and Caleb were the only two who came back with a good report. And I think Joshua said, you know what? There's something about this two business. There were two faithful men out of 12. And so Joshua here, he doesn't waste any time. He finds the two most faithful men around him. He says, now you guys go. And you go in and especially look out Jericho and you see what's there. So they do. They, 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 they cross the Jordan. They probably have to swim across it. Right? And at that time of the year, it was no easy feat because Jordan was swelling and the water's going by pretty quickly. So they had to be pretty ingenuitive to get across that Jordan. Then they finally get over into the land over there in Jericho and they're found out, and, and, and a woman takes them, takes them in, Rahab, we know, and she hides them from the authorities. And finally, when they've, been find out, when they've been found out, she lets them down through a scarlet rope outside of her window because outside of her uh, house, if you will, was right on the wall. And, and Jericho had two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall. And so they would be let down by the scarlet rope. And they made a covenant with her. 
And she made a covenant with them. They said, don't tell anybody that we've been here and we'll spare your life. And she says, you know, not only do that, do that, but spare everyone in my house. My, my father, my mother, my sisters, my brothers, their kids. And they said, sure. Everyone has to be inside your house. And everyone who's inside will be spared. And we see the wonderful type of that in the Passover as well. And so they come back to Joshua and they tell him what Rahab had told him that the land was scared to death because they had heard of the reports of what God had done for them through the desert, how he parted the Red Sea, how he provided miraculous for them, miraculously for them in the desert by giving them manna and many other provisions, provisions of water and even meat when they wanted it. You remember that story or that event? Is it a story or is it history? We use those words, but I'm trying to deliver myself from that word story because it's not a story, is it? It's, a, it's an event, a historical event. But, so now, they go back and they tell Joshua, the land and the people in it are scared to death. And so finally we get into uh, Joshua 3. Let me just read the third chapter to you, and then we're going to go back. It says, the Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there. Before they crossed over, and so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. And yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may... that you may know the way in which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Notice, and at this time we know it's harvest season, and the Jordan is very full. It's flooded. It's overflowing its banks, and the water is moving by at a good clip. We'll look at that a little bit later. And they're going to stand there in the Jordan. Verse 9, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Before the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take yourselves... Take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of the whole earth, of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan. And the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. This was barley harvest at this time. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. 
So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed. And they were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Over the Jordan. An amazing thing. And it's interesting. We're going to look at uh, chapters 3 and 4 hopefully tonight. And one of the things that you'll recognize as we get into this chapter, and especially into chapter 4, is there's a literary form here that is very reminiscent of the first few chapters of Genesis. Meaning that in Genesis, you recall that oftentimes the Lord gave them, uh, gives us a narrative of what happened, and then in the next couple of chapters, he'll go into more detail about that. So it's almost like an outline. He gives like an outline, he tells you the story, and then he goes back and tells you a little bit more of the details of the story. We see that in Genesis chapter 1, and Genesis chapter 2 is kind of like that. You get my point? He tells you know about the creation and all that stuff and creating man, and then finally and he talks about um, creating man and the details of creating woman and those kinds of things. And so we see that literary form happening happening here as well. And so it may seem like some redundancy, but what the Lord is doing is just laying a framework and then going back in and filling in the details. So let's look back at verse 1. And so it says, Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove. And Acacia is uh, the, the town Shittim, which is um, Shittim wood, which is uh, what the, a lot of the articles of the temple were made out of. Uh, shittim wood or acacia wood, and they were overlaid with gold. And this whole area from Jericho from, from Shittim is about 14 miles. And right in the center, pretty much, is the Jordan River, about seven miles in between. So they're in this place of acacia grove, and so now they're coming to the Jordan. So they're traveling. This two million-plus people are now traveling to the Jordan from acacia wood, and they're, they're going there, and they're going to lodge there before they cross over. In verse 2, it says, So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now, one of the interesting things about this, and and it kind of can go by you and you don't really recognize it, but the Kohathites, you remember there were three different families of the Levites. There were the Kohathites, the the Gershonites, the Kohathites, and the Merarites. These were three different families of Levi. Each of those three different families had a role to play in what they would do as they were going through the desert. Whenever the tabernacle would be reared up and they would move, every, every family group had things they had to do. The priests themselves, Aaron and his sons, would go in and they would cover the Ark of the Covenant. They would cover the, 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 the lampstand. They would cover the, show, the table of showbread and the altar of incense. They'd cover all these articles. And then... The Kohathites, it says in Numbers chapter 3, their job was to go in and their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, which, which they ministered, the screen and all the work relating to them. And that's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 3. And you can also see it in Numbers chapter 4, specifically verse 15. It says that when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come in to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. And so you remember they created those poles. 
those, wood, those poles made of acacia wood, they'd overlay them with gold, and they would put them through the rings on each side of those articles of furniture, and they would bear them on their shoulders. Remember, that's what got David in his trouble when they didn't do that originally, when David brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem. Remember that? When, when, they, when they came in and they, they put, decided to put it on a cart like the, uh, the Philistines did, and Ohio and Uzzah, were killed before the Lord because they weren't paying attention. God had a prescribed order of doing things, and they touched the ark. But what's interesting here is the Kohathites aren't doing this. I don't, I don't know exactly what is happening. I don't know the answer here because it says the priests themselves. In this, in this situation, they are the ones, not the Kohathites. They're not the priests. They're the sons of Levi. But the priests themselves, Aaron and his sons, or Aaron's sons, I should say, they're, they're carrying the ark. They're carrying the ark. It's just, just an interesting anomaly, really. So here they do. They, they carry the ark. And the very ark of God, the ark of the covenant, is really what symbolized God's presence with them. And Israel, if you remember over their history, it became like a, a rabbit's foot to them, unfortunately. Because as long as the ark was with them, they thought that they had the favor with God, even though they were doing wicked things. And people do that today. Ever seen people? I mean, when I was a little boy, I remember uh, somebody gave me a, a rabbit's foot, and I'd have that rabbit's foot with that little silver thingy and the little keychain on it, and I'd have it in my pocket, and I thought I was really something. And I thought that, you know, whenever I had needed luck or something like that, as long as I had the rabbit's foot, nothing would happen to me. Right, And the children of Israel got that way with the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it doesn't matter if we're you know, doing all these wicked things. As long as the Ark of God is with us, that, that's all that matters. Even though the glory had departed. <laughs> Ichabod. The glory had departed from the temple, and yet they were still acting as if God was with them, and, and they were living in disobedience. And so the Ark of the Covenant was, was significant to them, obviously. In verse 4, back in our text tonight, it says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits. This is um, uh, roughly 100 yards is really what this comes out to be. In, in, our, in our vernacular, it might be 10 football fields. Think of 1,000 yards. That's 10 football fields end to end. Imagine that in your head. And that's how far the Levites, the, the, the priests, had to carry the ark and everybody else was to follow behind them, about a little more than half a mile behind them. And why is that? Because we're talking about a lot of people. We'll see that in a little bit because as you look up here at the screen, they were all camped out right here on the side of the Jordan. When you've got two, plus, two million plus people, uh, it's going to take a long time for them to cross that Jordan. It's going to take them a long time, and, and it's wide, and they're going across kind of like that. And it's going to take some hours for them to get across safely with all their animals, with all their goods, with all the elderly people, with all the young kids. But there must be a space between them and the ark. And this is perhaps just to instill reverence. And you know, for some reason in our, in our culture today, there's, even in the church, there's, there, 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 can be, there can be, not all the time, but there can, can be a lack of reverence for the Lord. You know, I hear Christians talk about Jesus as, as if he's some kind of, you know, best friend and best pal. And he is, he is. Don't ever think that that's not true. He is Emmanuel. He is our Father in heaven. But sometimes we can get a little irreverent and say, well, the man upstairs, you know, I pray to the man upstairs. No, he's, and, you know, he's, he's my buddy, you know. Well, he's more than a buddy. It's okay to think of God in a personal way like that. I think we should in, in, in one way, but we also remember need to remember that he's almighty God and he deserves our reverence. He deserves our worship and 
and, and, and we ought to think of him in the highest possible way. We ought to revere him more than any other being, any other thing. I mean, this is the creator of the universe. I like the idea that we can be that intimate with him, but we also need to remember how great and powerful he is. And we should never forget that. But he is our father in heaven. We can approach him like a child. But verse 5, it goes on, it says, And Joshua said to the people, he said, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I don't know that Joshua knew exactly what wonders were going to be done because the Lord didn't give him that information yet. It wasn't until the morning that the Lord told him what, exactly what to do, exactly how it was going to come to pass. But sanctify yourselves, consecrate yourselves, make your, you know, confess your sin, get yourself right, get your mind prepared. That's the idea. Because they weren't just to be prepared physically with all their goods and all the things, but they need to be prepared for what God was going to do. After all, this was the summation of hundreds of years Hundreds of years of prophecy and, and, and things that God said he was going to do. And here they are. This is the time. Everyone would have loved back in, you know, in Egypt to, to be able to see, and back in Abraham's day, to be able to see that moment when the promise is now coming to fruition of the promises that God made to Abraham, the promises that he made to Isaac, the promises he made to Jacob, the promises he made to Moses, and all the promises are now coming to fruition. This is the time. Think of the excitement buzzing in the air. And hopefully they all understood that. Hopefully they all understood that this was the time that God was going to do it. How excited would that be? How exciting would it be? It's a watershed moment. It's the moment they've been waiting for. But he said to consecrate yourself in, the, in God's sight. And, and this is the same exact word that, and the same exact thing they did. Remember in Exodus chapter 19, before God came down on Mount Sinai and gave them the law, he said the very same thing in Exodus 19 verse 10. He said, go to the people, Moses, and consecrate them. It's the same exact word. Set them apart, them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day, for in the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all all the people. Significant event, the giving of the law. And now, again, another significant event. Now they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. So verse 6, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. I like that. God said to do this, and so they did it. (laughs) Isn't it funny? None of you are laughing. Why? There you go. Uh, Okay, that's good. But yeah, it's simple, isn't it? Do this. Okay, I'll do it. You know, and sometimes walking with the Lord is like that. You know, we read his word, and it's not difficult. I mean, if you look at the word of God and you just are obedient, the, 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 the hardest thing is for me to submit my will to him. His commandments aren't grievous. They're not, they're not difficult, but boy, they're difficult in some ways because it's, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will, isn't it? And that's the hardest thing. And yet they, he tells them to do this. Okay, I can do that. And, and I guess it is easy in one sense. Leading them step by step, telling them what they're going to do. I, I love that. You know, He's just so good like that. So verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And you know, this is really good for Joshua. It's really good for him because as a young man and as being Moses' protege, he saw the awe of Moses. 
He saw, you know, Moses go up and speak with God in person. He saw all these things. And can you imagine the fear of this young man as he is now in control? Or not in control, but he's leading God's people. God's in control, but he's leading God's I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.